FinTech Hunting is hosted by Michael Hammett, JD, CMT, keynote speaker, author, and founder and president of Next Level Advisors. Join Michael as he seeks out tech visionaries, leading lenders, trailblazing executives, and other financial influencers to bring you actionable insights and lead generation tactics, all centered around industry greatness and success. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to FinTech Hunting. We don't have one, but we have two very special guests for you today. The first is a returning visitor who always shares some incredible knowledge, Jim Deitch from Terra Verde. He is the CEO of Terra Verde and has a wealth of mortgage industry knowledge and expertise. And our second guest today is new to the show, but hope all of you guys will welcome Scott Payne. He is the CEO of SDP Solutions. Scott, welcome to the show. Hey, Michael, thanks for having me. So happy to be on. Well, it's great to have you. Jim, you've been on the show before, and I, I always like to kind of kick it off with, with everything going on with the pandemic and the refi boom and trying to open up states. Why don't you kind of start us off with kind of a state of where you see the mortgage industry, and then we'll let Scott jump in after you. So, Michael, thank you very much. And, and uh, again, thank you for having me back. I really uh, appreciate uh, the honor of being uh, with you and with Scott. So on the overall mortgage market, had an opportunity uh, this week to speak to about a dozen CEOs from both the residential mortgage banking side and the commercial residential or the commercial banking side. And you know the residential side, is, as we know, is is really going uh, very very well, both with refis and home purchases. The commercial side, uh, given delinquencies, some of the uh, difficulties with the multifamily is a different story. But I think for purposes today, we'll focus on uh, the residential side, which is again, achieving uh, record levels of origination. Uh, it's continuing forth, margins are great, pull through is pretty good. So from my perspective, um, it's, it's a really uh, excellent uh, position for the industry to kind of go through this pandemic, notwithstanding the fact that there are issues both internally with remote workers as well as externally with some of the, uh, the the difficulties that borrowers are making with job loss, making their mortgage payment and forbearance. Great insights, Jim. I appreciate that. Scott, what's kind of your vantage point? Yeah, I mean, so, so I'm a historically a consumer direct type of person. Uh, started my career at NationStar and you know now it's now called Mr. Cooper. Started my career there in the consumer direct world and, and spent 10 years there and then went on to work for Velocify, lead management company, mainly also focused on consumer direct. So, you know, a lot of my clients are in the consumer direct space. And, you know, I think what's interesting now is trying to figure out as things start to open back up is what is that environment going to be like, uh, you say, a month or two from now? Um, you know, obviously, a lot of shifting happened there in March and April to, you know, move to a work from, work from home environment. And from everything I've heard from clients, it's been great. You know, they've, they've seen actually increased conversion rates and production is up. And, you know, it was better than expected from moving to that environment. But it, it will be interesting to see what happens over the next month or two as the country starts to open back up and you know while you know production was up let's say two months ago well you know uh, people had to buckle down and work and that's really all they could do they couldn't go out and do other things so it's going to be interesting to me through the summer and going into you know the start of the fall 
to see how, you know, what happens to that production. Are companies going to allow their employees to remain working from home? Are they going to, you know, still see the same success? You know, because, you know, now, you know, I got to take my son to soccer practice or baseball practice. And, you know, is that going to distract and distract me from working from that work from home environment? So while it's been successful, uh, I think it's going to be really interesting over the next couple of months to see how this all plays out. Interesting. And I think you make a really valid point there of when everyone was in shelter in place, you either were doing homeschooling with your kids or you were working 14, 16 hours. And how will that change now that some of the activities are picking up, whether it's soccer, baseball, whether it's some other events. So it will be interesting to monitor that. You had mentioned, you know, consumer direct and in talking to a lot of lenders, in talking to a lot of vendors, what I'm hearing is there's, in, in some people's opinion, there's a little bit of a blurring of the line between retail and consumer direct. Would you guys kind of like to weigh in on whether you think there's a blurring of the line and maybe give a quick description of the differences between the two for our listeners? Jim, you want to start with that? So, uh, Michael, sure. Uh, one of the things, just to follow up on, on the last statement that, that Scott made first is, you know, there has been uh, that you know, centricity of looking at just working, particularly during the winter months in, in those climates that are cold. And uh, one of the insights I got from uh, talking to a couple of CEOs this week is people are just getting tired. Uh, in addition to having distractions of normal life beginning to resume, uh, you just have, uh, particularly on the operations side, uh, just a, a degree of, of tiredness of just going through so many loan applications and working so hard and solving so many issues. So that, uh, I think, leads into the question of, is there a hard distinction between direct-to-consumer and traditional retail? And, and certainly the uh, pandemic and the forced uh, stay-at-home orders has, has blurred that uh, considerably because virtually uh, most of the originations uh, occurring in March, April, May were, were not face-to-face. -face. But I turn over to Scott for some, some of his insights because he's on the front lines of direct-to-consumer literally every day. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's a great question because, you know, and you mentioned the face-to-face. <clears throat> Consumer direct LOs typically obviously not face to face. They're not. Uh, they're on the phone and you know doing business nationwide. What I have found and, and heard some stories about is that you know as these you know direct their consumer direct sales teams have moved to the remote environment, they're more and more in front of a camera. <clears throat> they're more and more on Zoom meetings with their bosses and with their teams, and and they're getting used to being in front of a camera. And that's historically nothing that they've ever done. I've always seen consumer direct LOs who were shy away from that because they're just not used to it. It doesn't feel right to them. Um, I had a, a guest on my, on my podcast. I have a podcast, Lead Management Masterminds, and I had a Alec Hansen from uh, Lone Depot on, and we were talking about how, um, how once you spend time getting in front of a camera, you get more comfortable with it. So I think what, what, what will be interesting for my side, and, and I've already seen this happen on a number of cases, is that direct LOs are getting used to being in front of that camera. They're getting more comfortable with it. And what I'm finding now is that they're actually wanting to spend time face-to-face -face on a Zoom-type call or a, a video call with their consumers to walk them through your options. Usually, it's just all over the phone. I've got to explain it. 
you know, having them write stuff down. But now I can share my screen. I, it's a face-to-face. -face, it's more personable. I think that's going to be kind of the shift we see out of this is that people became more comfortable being on camera. And because of that, I think they're going to start using that to their advantage over the next, you know, uh, into the future, really. I mean, it, you think about um, my grandparents, for example. We had probably three or four Zoom meetings with my grandparents who typically aren't very technology savvy, right? It's, it's uh, you know, we've got to explain to them how to do this and that. And by the by the second, third, fourth you know, Zoom call, they're fired up, they're ready to go, they knew how to do the filters, like, you know, they're becoming more and more used to that. So I think that's also interesting from the consumer standpoint is they're used to these types of video calls because of what people were doing through this pandemic. And now I think the consumer direct LO is gonna be able to take advantage of that, making them more like a retail LO who is, Kind of the face-to-face -face, but being able to do it nationwide interesting, well, it's interesting. I, agree. I think you know potential borrowers now are being conditioned it's not just the uh, consumer direct lo's but it is the potential borrowers that are used to jumping on to see their grandkids jumping on for seeing their relatives their family their friends because they couldn't couldn't do it face to face so i think those things converging, you know, can really create some disruption and we'll see if those lines continue to blur between consumer direct and retail. Mm -hmm. One of the things as I'm talking to lenders out there, obviously refis are, are, there are a huge volume right now, you know, depending on what statistic you look at, there's over 3 trillion in potential refi opportunities, but with remote workforces, how important is pipeline visibility so that lenders know how to maximize and really work the loans that they can work and get done? And what can it do to also flag the loans that may have some trouble or some potential trouble coming? Jim, you wanna start with that one? Sure, I mean, we're, we're in a situation with virtually all lenders having capacity constraints and the, the, the need to go through and identify which loans have the highest likelihood of closing, which loans have uh, borrowers who are in a position to close because of employment, et cetera. So the ability to go through and, and triage your pipeline, essentially sorted into those loans that are highly likely to close quickly uh, in, in on one side and those loans that are unlikely to close because of either employment status or credit status on the other. And, and those in the middle uh, need to be kind of ultimately pushed one way to the right or to the left. So the need to triage your pipeline is true both on the retail side as well as on the consumer direct side because the limited capacity on the operational side of the business is just forcing one to husband those resources very carefully and make sure that excellent customer service and quick close is afforded to those loans that are ready, uh, willing, and able uh, to close. Excellent. And, and Scott, you've been on the lender side, you're now on the vendor side. Historically, one of the challenges with creating that visibility is while the systems, whether it's the LOS, whether it's the POS, holds a lot of that data, accessing it and being able to visually represent it has historically been very challenging. Where do you see some of the new technology? Where do you see some of that changing to provide the data in, in a, a much more consumable manner? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that, you know, look at this. I'm actually go a little more top of funnel and then I'll get down to the actual visibility part is that, you know, from a consumer direct standpoint, especially as they move to the work, have moved to the work from home, there's no longer the ability for a manager to, you know, let's say in a, in a call center, 
to kind of look over the shoulder of their salesperson and kind of see what they have on their plate of things to do. So one of the things that's become super critical is, as you move to the work from home, it's something I've been talking about for years, but even more critical now is how your salespeople are prioritizing their activities. Um, through integrations between your lead management system and your LOS or POS, wherever it may be, uh, you, you should really have a good prioritization structure for your salespeople. They, they should not spend a lot of time thinking about what to do next, especially if they're going to start having more and more distractions and working from home and whatever the case may be. So really critical to have the integrations between two, you know, between systems uh, to give them a prioritized list. For example, in Velocify, as an example, it's a system that I you know, obviously work for and do a lot of work with today. They have a prioritized view. Uh, of activities and typically that has only been leads, leads that I need to follow up with. Once the loans in the LOS, I'm done with Velocify in that case. Well, what I'm working with a lot of companies on is actually taking the data back from the LOS and feeding it back to Velocify, which has the prioritization engine built into it. Now, not only from a visualization standpoint, which I'll get to, uh, you know, the salesperson has a prioritized list of things they need to do. It doesn't matter if it's a lead, a loan, a prequal, whatever the case is, it gives them this just a fine list of things to do so that I stay focused on the right and the best thing to do at this moment. Now that becomes even more critical as we talk about the data part of it is that, you know, the manager again, can't go look over their shoulder to get an idea of what they have on their plate. They need to have some type of reporting uh, to be able to go do this. Now, you know, Velocify and some other systems, you can always export data out, you put it into Excel, you run your pivot tables. By the time you get done running a pivot table, it's 30 minutes later and the data is different now. And so having a tool um, you know, that allows you to really be able to really in real time see the data, make real time decisions, um, drill down into things as you see things outlaw, you know, outliers and these types of things become even more critical, whether it be from the work from home environment or just you know, moving into 2021 when you know, we have a bunch of technology at our fingertips. So I, you know, it's it's really critical that businesses are thinking about this now if they're not already. I will still work with a lot of companies that are working in that kind of Excel spreadsheet mode, and, and it's just it feels so 2018-ish now. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> Great feedback. Yeah. And Jim, what's kind of your perspective? You guys have specialized in really allowing people to get that visibility so that they can make quicker, faster, more informed decisions. How do you see you know, the data now at the top of the funnel, not just at what's happening on the back end and what loans will close, but what's kind of your perspective on this top of funnel data? So it's, it's, it's interesting, and, and I'll start with kind of the, uh, the merging together of consumer direct and retail. Uh, and as Scott mentioned, the ability to use Zoom or, or other tools to get face to face with a potential borrower has has really kind of moved that barrier of of direct to consumer and 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 distributed retail uh you know through the covid uh, uh pandemic because both parties are doing that um interestingly uh going to some of the data elements uh one of uh one of the clients that I'm working with has both direct to consumer as well as distributed retail and some of the retail officers began buying leads and doing uh, VA interest rate reduction loans. So that that would traditionally be a consumer direct space, uh, and it's kind of merged together with uh, you know both of the, the the origination channels there. 
it doesn't sound like a big deal, except the comp levels for the distributed retail are different than the compensation levels for a consumer direct. And you begin to get some of that channel conflict, both in terms of the, the, the market being served, as well as the relative compensation among loan officers. So this whole pandemic and this whole kind of blending together a little bit or, or smushing together uh, the, the the channels uh, create some some interesting uh, some interesting issues. The other thing with respect to data, and I think Scott is exactly right, uh, data and data informed decisions can make a huge difference in the profitability of uh, a, a particular strategy, uh, ranging from how you distribute leads to uh, how good an agent is or how well an agent can handle a particular type of transaction or a particular loan purpose transaction, uh, all of those elements, uh, the information is spinning within the, uh, the, the CRM, the POS, the LOS. The key is how do you get that data out? And the differences in performance and the efficiencies of, of lead conversion uh, really are often uh, very, very apparent if you can get to the data. And I just throw that back to Scott for his his insight. Yeah, I mean, so so companies that are most successful that I work with are those that are nimble. I'll use that as, as the term, right? They're nimble in that they can make more real-time decisions about their path forward than companies who have to spend a lot of time digging through the data and trying to figure out what's going on. Those companies that are nimble have tools set up that um, they're able to see in real time how things are trending. So a great example is I have a client of mine who sends out a lot of direct mail and they do a lot of testing of that direct mail. They have certain codes on the leads uh, as the people respond and they're doing real time analysis um, on the you know on the daily level to understand what creative is, is driving the highest response rates. So it's not even response, but then they're looking a the step further. What, you know, what's driving the highest application rates and the highest, you know, uh, just on down the funnel. And, you know, the organizations, if you were to try to do this without having some type of infrastructure in place to be able to pull all that together in real time, because it's not just lead data. It's also how far in the process in the LOS did they get or did they go fill out the, you know, an application in the POS? You know, these types of things are critical to being nimble and, and able to, to make those kind of marketing decisions to drive the business forward. Because if you're, you know, again, if you're pulling that data manually and trying to tie stuff together, it's taking you, you know, 15, 30 days to figure out what's working and what's not. And the companies that are really good at it are the ones that say, you know what, on our next mail drop next Tuesday, we're not going to send out this creative because it didn't have a high response rate or maybe it had a, had a high response rate, but the qualification rate was terrible. And so we need to make adjustments uh, in more real time. So when you have that at your fingertips, you're able to, to be more nimble. And then, you know, you start looking, you know, three, you know, three, six, nine months out, you'll see your conversion rates substantially increase across the board. Great tips, great insights. So if I'm a listener and I understand, okay, being able to access the data is critical. Maybe Jim, you can start with this or what are some of the then best practices? Is it, technology that they should be using? Is it BI? Is it analytics? What should they be using from a best practices standpoint so that they can more readily access this data and make quicker and more informed decisions? 
Michael, a uh, great question. So uh, kind of starting in, in the general realm uh, and amplifying Scott's point, the ability to look at top of funnel and find and track all of the attributes of where the lead's coming from, how it's performing, how the agents are able to convert uh, ultimately what turns into an application, then where do those applications ultimately end up? Meaning, are they funded? Are they rejected? Are they uh, withdrawn? Are they close for incompleteness? Uh, how long does it take? Um, all those pieces of data are really um, critical to have. And the great thing is most systems can produce that data. The trick is uh, essentially getting it and doing something with it as quickly as possible because things do change and, and ultimately going from day to day and tracking leads and lead performance is really important. So whether you do that with a data warehouse, whether you do that with spreadsheets, whether you use a, a commercial tool to look at it, the ability to cross-section uh, that data from top of funnel to application to final disposition and even to loan performance through uh, the servicing system or the scorecards coming from investors is, is really important. Great. Scott, do you want to add anything on that of, you know, best practices or what you would recommend as they go and try to grab and capture this data? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you want to make sure that, you know, <clears throat> like if you're going out looking for a new technology, you want to make sure that, uh, you know, that technology has <clears throat> available APIs. Um, you know, uh, that's the best way to kind of describe integrations nowadays is, it does this does a system have the ability to get data out through an API? And I think that's the easiest way to get data into, uh, you know, wh however it is, whether it's a, again a data warehouse. I think, you know, the people I see most successful are using a third-party type of reporting platform um, that is able to take data in from multiple sources and then be able to kind of tie it all together with unique IDs and then be able to to build the reports around that. Uh, obviously, some companies have like a BI team and, and they have a platform to go in and build stuff. But um, what I like about the, the third party platforms is that it gives the kind of not the end user per se, because sometimes the end user may be a salesperson, but, uh, you know, someone in marketing or somebody, you know, in the head of sales or strategy, whatever the case may be, it gives them the control to, to build things on their own, it allows them to, you know, change this or drill into this. Versus just kind of looking at a static report. You know, back in my career, we had static reports. I didn't have the ability to go and adjust. I want to like drill into this number, but then I've got to go do it somewhere separately. To have a third-party platform that allows you to drill right in at your fingertips, and it gives the salesperson or the marketer, whoever it may be, the ability to do that with a button and a couple of clicks of the buttons uh, becomes super powerful. So that's that's usually my recommendation is that you're looking at a third-party type of platform that uh, kind of aggregates all of this and allows you to, to drill in. We've covered a lot of great stuff. And as we're winding down, one question that I want to ask is, is, is I talk to a lot of people, and they, they talk about data and everything else. How important, Jim, is it to have someone who actually understands the mortgage industry, mortgage banking, and have that expertise? Because a lot of people can pull data, but if they don't know the difference between consumer direct and correspondent, and the correspondent's not grabbing leads, but consumer direct is looking for leads and lead sources and top of funnel, I think the data itself, it can only bring so much information to, to market. You've got to have somebody who has that expertise. And I think having third-party uh, 
people that have that knowledge and that expertise can really be a difference maker. Jim, what's your feeling on that? So it, it's, uh, I think, an excellent point, Michael. Uh, many of the CEOs I talk to uh, have BI teams at the, at the very large companies, and the common complaint is those, those data and BI uh, professionals understand the technology, but they don't understand the domain knowledge of mortgage banking. And similarly, if you understand the domain knowledge of mortgage banking, sometimes the quickest and most direct solution is to use spreadsheets. So, um, you know, there, there's, there's a couple of, of companies, including ours, that has a, a rich domain knowledge base within a, a third-party uh, data consumption system and can track that information and parse it and slice it and, and really give data-informed real-time information on a point-and-click side. So you can really get the domain knowledge as well as the uh, data analytics knowledge uh, all combined into a single platform. And, and uh, there's a couple platforms out there. Uh, my wife's husband thinks the Coheus product produced by Terra Verde is, is probably a, a good contender, but uh, <laughs> there are other ones out there. Jim, I yeah. really appreciate it. And I do think it makes a big difference, you know, all jokes aside, that domain knowledge can be a real difference maker because everyone's trying to grab the data, that's fine. But if they don't understand how the data fits within the industry, how people are using it, then I think it loses some of its value. Scott, anything you want to add on to that point? Well, I agree with uh, Jim's wife's husband that Coheus, the, the solution there is it's really good. And, uh, you know, I've worked uh, with them on a couple of projects now where we've taken data from the lead management system, uh, you know, and this in, in my case was a, a Velocify and getting the data in into that system and, and then tying that into the LOS and LMAs uh, and Compass and, and, you know, the power it gives you at your fingertips is, is critical. You know, I, I would also just add that, um, you know, while it's super easy to go in and click uh, around, I my uh, you know recommendations to a lot of companies is that you have <clears throat> like a liaison type of person in between sales and other departments. Or uh, in my case, my story was that I was I was a uh, an originator, a sales manager, and then got asked to go run a team that was li liaison between sales and marketing because sales always had issues with marketing, marketing always had issues with sales. They were headbutting all the time, and I came in and, and kind of was the mediator between the two teams. And, you know, what I was able to do in that role was I became in charge of all lead analytics, all lead distribution, marketing would drive the lead, I'd figure out where to go, if sales had an issue with it, they'd come to me, I'd go back to marketing, and whatever the case was, So I, you know, I would challenge people out there who are struggling with that to say, like, you know, our, our BI teams, uh, you know, are, are good, and they know the data, but, um, or they know the, the process, but, or they, they don't actually know how the business is run. And so me being a former originator and, and on the front lines on that aspect, I was able to jump in because I knew the sales process. I was also really good with some of the marketing, you know, you know, data and, and tracking these types of things. So it was a, a good fit. The listeners out there who are struggling with that, I would recommend going out to your sales team and finding someone who's maybe not in, you know, they're tired of being in sales. They're tired of that up and down. They want something a little more consistent and have a kind of a career path to something different. Uh, that I think there's a lot of good people within organizations that could fit that type of role and then take that data that we're talking about in this third party and take it to the next level because they understand the process. They've been on the phone with the borrower. They understand where stuff can fall out. They understand that process and they can tell better stories with the data uh, than someone who's just kind of playing around with the reports every day. 
excellent points. As we wrap up, guys, where do you guys see the, the mortgage market for the rest of this year? What do we have to look forward to? What, what are some blind spots we need to be cautionary towards? Jim, do you want to start? So I think, uh, you know, rates, uh, it, it's my expectation that, that rates will continue uh, at a relatively low level. Uh, margins may tighten as the pipelines get, uh, you know, worked through. But, but I think it's going to be a fantastic year for mortgage originators, probably rivaling 2003. Uh, the thing to think about is once all this refi activity is done, it comes down to who can be really efficient and who can work to command the purchase business. So whether it's distributed retail or direct to consumer, longer term, we need to keep our eye on the fact that the purchase business is the sustainable business. And although times are great right now, let's make the investment to build the capability to serve consumers on the purchase side as time goes forward. Great point. And I think the other thing to add to that is not only build the systems, but you've got to really start building those relationships, whether it's with realtors and everything else, so that you're ready for that purchase market. Scott, what do you see for the end of the year? Well, Jim stole my first one um, because, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. I think the, the companies who are thinking now about the future, obviously, we've been through this before where rates were supposed to go up and they never went up. And so some people had invested in some purchase stuff. Uh, and, and process and then you know, maybe pull back from a little bit. But you know, my recommendation to a lot of people is you've always got to be building that purchase team and that mindset and you've got to keep them different, you know, for the most part from your from your refi type people. Um, uh, from a consumer direct standpoint, I believe you need to have like a separated team and that's all they do is purchase and you continue to have that footprint work out the kink so that when you need to go full blown into purchase, uh, at least from the consumer direct standpoint, you're able to kind of jump in and you're not going to be learning everything, you know, six months from now when you realize you kind of have to start doing that. The other thing I would just add is, you know, I mentioned a couple of times is kind of uh, what's going to happen over the next couple of months as, as things reopen. Um, what is that going to do to uh, recruiting uh, loan officers? Because some companies are going to say, you know what, the working from home really worked out for us. We're, we're OK with that going forward. Other companies are going to say, you know what, I really want my people back in the office. And, you know, I think we could see some some people jump and chip and go into places where they have the opportunity to work from home, those who enjoyed it and did well with it. So I think we're going to see that become kind of a big piece in a, you're going to start seeing that in, you know, recruiting ads. Hey, you know, great opportunity to work from home. And, and that's something you typically would have never seen in a consumer direct type of uh, recruiting ad in the past. But I think it's something that people are going to need to keep an eye on because, you know, it's expensive to replace salespeople. You know, I, I released a blog post the other day. It's $97,000 in expense uh, for, you know, an inside sales rep to, to hire them, train them, all of the cost that goes into it. Uh, it takes about four, four months to bring them up to speed. So it'd be really interesting to see what happens if companies are going to feel the pressure to allow their people to continue to work from home because they don't want to have to, you know, go out and replace people. Great points. Gentlemen, thank you for your incredible insights. We greatly appreciate your time and, and effort and hope you have a fantastic end of the year as we wind down the, the, your start, the second half of the year. Let's hope that it's very successful and prosperous for you. But thank you for being on FinTech Hunting. Michael, thank you. Thank you, Michael.
Fintech Hunting is brought to you by Next Level Advisors. Next Level Advisors, where businesses come to grow.